You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. There's no other place but the cross where that is made most clear, that Jesus is the Christ and that eternal life is found only in His name. It was after Jesus breathed His last breath, The ground shook and the veil of the temple was torn in two and the dead in Christ rose. It was after that moment that the centurion soldier and all of his army looked and said, surely this man must have been the son of God. It's only at the cross where we most clearly see Jesus' divinity and his being our savior. And it is a place at which that cannot be ignored or Denied. And yet, we come to John chapter 18, and we have just the opposite. It comes from not only the world around Jesus, but it comes from one of his closest followers. Denied. That should have been the stamp on Peter's case file. If you talk about his relationship with Jesus, this is the scarlet letter, right? He denied Jesus three times. Jesus said it was going to happen. It happened. And we might ask the question, how could you do that, Peter? How could you deny Jesus when he was standing right before you? But then we must ask ourselves the same question, shouldn't we? How could we deny Jesus? The question is often placed before Christians in an attempt to measure the real zeal of our commitment to Jesus, if someone were to hold a gun to your head, would you still continue to affirm Christ, to confess Christ, or would you deny Him? That question was popularized after the attack on Columbine, as you are well familiar with, most of you, Cassie and Rachel, those two girls who reportedly asked if they believed in God right before the gun was fired, and they said yes, and they were both killed. And we're quick to say, if that were us, we would have made the same choice. But let me push back on that just for a moment. Maybe, much like Peter, we would insist, Lord, why can I not follow you? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus answered Peter's zealous claim, and perhaps us this morning, when he said, will you lay down your life for me? 
Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. We read that in John 13. But here it is coming true. And I want to suggest to you this morning that perhaps the story of Peter is not a cause to measure the strength of our commitment to Christ. But maybe something else altogether. And I pray that you'll see it here with me. So if you have found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. By the way, don't think we'll see it most clearly until the end. So you've got to hang with me all the way to the end of the text. Beginning at verse 12 and following. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. If what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once the rooster crowed. Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to see what it is that you would have for us in this passage of Scripture. The Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes to see where we are much like Peter. And that you would not only bring down the pride of our hearts, but that you would help us to be comforted in the hope of the gospel. May our understanding of what the gospel is be corrected this morning and shifted 
toward the Bible. And I pray, God, that you would be glorified and that your people would be changed as a result. Father, if there is one here this morning that has found themselves in the place of pride, and rebellion against God, maybe even find them, finding themselves in a place of religious pride where they think they're right with the Lord, I pray that today, God, you would open their eyes to see and that they would repent and believe the gospel and trust in Christ with all of their hearts and be saved. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So this moment, that is Peter's denial, was foretold by Jesus. This is not something, if you've been reading the Gospel of John along with us, this is not something that should come as a surprise. As I mentioned a few moments ago, it is recounted by, or it is foretold by Jesus, and by the way, it is recounted in all four Gospels. This is not a story that is obscure. We see it in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22. And in fact, in each of those places, the foretelling of it, the prophecy of Peter's denial is uh, foretold in all of those places. So as you think about the gospel story, the, the cross narrative, this is a critical moment it is a critical part of this story that we not only understand it, but that we see it and how it applies to the cross. But then further, that we see it again in the book of Acts. We see this kind of circling back to this story of Peter's denial yet again in the same place. But we'll come back to that in a moment. John portrays this as opposed to the other gospel writers. John portrays this in kind of a unique way. It's not unique in its content. It's the same story. And basically all of the same content is in all four gospels. But John's unique in his style, in his presenting it. He presents it kind of in a back and forth kind of a motion, kind of like scenes in a movie, right? You have two events that are happening at the same time. It's this panning back and forth of the camera of these two events so that you understand them as parallel chronologically. And oftentimes, if you're watching a movie, you'll see that there's connections between those two stories. This is not unique in that sense. John is doing that. He's not just showing us the chronology of the story. If that was the case. He could have told us about one event, then the other event, just like the other gospel writers. But instead, he is drawing connections between what is happening before the high priest and what is happening out in the high priest's courtyard. That is Jesus' conversation with Annas and Caiaphas and this kind of experience that Peter is having just outside of the trial. Well, like the final scene in any great movie that leads you to believe there will be a sequel. Anybody watch movies like that? I, I watched this is before I kind of got into Lord of the Rings. And uh, Chris would joke with me because this comes up in almost every sermon he said. But I like the Lord of the Rings and I didn't know I'd never read the books. I got to the end of the first movie, the Lord of the Rings, and it stopped and I was speechless. I'm like, when is the next one coming out? Right. We all love a good sequel to a movie. Right. Well, like a good sequel to a great movie, John leads you to believe that something is about to take place. Why? Well, the garden arrest leaves off in verse 10. Go back with me just to the last verse of our last passage. John 18 and verse 10. It says, then Simon, Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. 
And the Bible tells us that servant's name was Malchus. We don't know anything more about him uh, other than that. Verse 11. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? So in that picture, you see the zeal of Jesus, right? This zeal of one who said in, in chapter 13, Jesus, if it comes to it, I'll die for you. But that zeal, chapter 13, the beginning of chapter 18, proves to be here self-inflated, short-sighted. It's a shadow kind of standing over the text that would foretell kind of this picture of something different is about to take place. We're about to see a different kind of a Peter. And John says, I want that shadow to stand over both the trial of Jesus among the Jews and over Peter's denial as he weaves these two things together. So the way he sets it up is important. Verse 12. So the band of soldiers and their captain and officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and they led him to Annas. And he was the father for he was the father in law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Right. So you have Annas, who had been the high priest for years and his uh, son-in-law Caiaphas is now the high priest. Annas is still kind of one of those guys that's revered by the nation, looked up to. And so they go to Annas and they say, we want your opinion before we go to the acting high priest. And there he reminds them or we're reminded that it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. That was found in John chapter 11, verse 50. And it was the argument over arresting Jesus, right? The, the whole call to arrest Jesus and to put him to death. And there's this reminder, this, this idea that, that this man dying will save the whole nation. They didn't see it the way Jesus saw it. They didn't see it as death on a cross. They just didn't want the whole nation to follow after this man. And so verse 53 in chapter 11 says that from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. So not only is John here saying, OK, we've arrived at that day. He is saying that the time of Jesus to die also signals a, a different kind of zeal. This zeal to be against Jesus. As much intensity as Peter had for Jesus, these men had against Jesus. I wrestled with this passage this week because those two things have to be connected, right? You see this zeal that is the greatest zeal in the land against the Savior and perhaps the greatest zeal in the land for the Savior. And they come into a collision course. I would say to you this morning that the story that we have before us is a collision of the most zealous for Jesus and the most zealous against Jesus. And there is significance in that. So let me just set it up for you. John tells us in verse 15 that Simon Peter followed Jesus. So Jesus had been arrested in the garden. Peter's following somewhat closely behind, but so far that People can't notice who he is. And so did another disciple. By the way, that's, an, that's a designation for John. John doesn't name himself uh, in this gospel. 
And so John, uh, our narrator, is following with Peter. And that disciple was known by the high priest. So John somehow is known by the high priest, which gives him a ticket inside. They enter into the area. Peter kind of stays outside the door. John enters into the courtyard and the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl and kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. So they find themselves together inside. Now, in our Western minds, maybe particularly in the Funiac, where everybody lives a country mile from one another, right? We, we don't get this picture of what's happening here in this moment. We, most of us are separated by acres and some of us even miles out in the middle of nowhere. But the Western or the Eastern world was not like that. In fact, most understand the old city today to be about 0.35 square miles. In the time of Jesus, it would have been smaller, only about 125 acres. And in that 125 acres, there was 25,000 people. There is no way Peter's going unnoticed in this moment. Not to mention that the house of Caiaphas, the courtyard and really the prison, and I've stood in this place, could basically fit in this room. As you think about the narrative here, what's happening here is this Christ follower, namely Simon Peter, a, a zealot for Christ. And he is faced with this question, with Jesus looming death, the gun essentially being to his head. Will you confess Christ? And in this moment, Jesus is within earshot of him. When the crow uh, or when the the rooster crows, the, the rooster is within earshot of Jesus and of Peter. This this is happening in a very small setting. There's kind of this stirring that is happening. It's in this moment that we learn some things in the life of Peter and some things that really aptly apply to us. Three of those things in Peter's three denials. And that leads us to see what John wants us to see in this passage. So let's look at them. Number one, we should see how easy it is to fall into sin. We should see just how easy it is to fall into sin. Verse 17, the servant girl, the, the one that Peter strikes up a conversation with, said to Peter, you also are not one of these man's disciples, are you? Remember, Peter's the one that said, I'm going to die for you, Jesus. I mean, denial was not even on the table, right? I'm going to die for Jesus. I would never deny you. And of course, he says, I am not. Verse 18 speaks of this charcoal fire. And it was cold there. They were standing and warming themselves by the fire. And it says that Peter was right there with them, standing and warming himself. In other words, Peter wanted to be just close enough that he was in the know, but just far enough away that he was outside of the danger zone. Boy, does that sound familiar. He wanted what was comfortable and he was unwilling to sacrifice in order to tell the truth. See, I think John is showing us this charcoal fire 
by the way, that will become a, a kind of a trajectory for John 20. We'll see that come up again, become super important here. It's a clear picture that this once zealous, self-inflated Peter is now fallen and in denial of Christ. And he was more willing He was not willing to trade the comfort of the fire and the safety outside the door for actually saying, I am a follower of Jesus. The same man who was once willing to lay down his life and die for Jesus. The same man who pulled out a sword and cut off an ear for Jesus. Now, when he must declare allegiance to Christ and The one who's quick to talk about what he would do for him, he turns the other way. And I dare to say that we we are much the same. We are quick in the world in which we live and the comfortable lives that we have to declare our allegiance to Jesus. We're quick to talk about what we would do for him. We're even quick to defend him in a culture that is vehemently against him. But when it comes to disrupting the comfort of our lives, when it comes to not losing our lives, of course, but even just becoming slightly uncomfortable, the threat was not on Peter yet. Fact is, we are willing to often turn away and deny him. Maybe our denial is not with words, but we often deny him with our disobedience. And it's still denial. To look at God's word where God says, this is who I call you to be. And to do anything different is to deny Christ. It is to deny Jesus. And just when we think we would die, we'll defend. We're actually one step away from falling. I want you to hear this morning just how easy it is to fall into sin. It doesn't even take a gun to our head. We're prone to wander away from Christ at the slightest discomfort. And if you and I were honest in this room, we would confess it to be true. Our hearts are so prone to chase even the smallest of temptations, the smallest of disobedience that would satisfy our flesh. But for a moment, we are quick to deny Christ, even in the smallest of ways, lessening them, justifying them, making little of them, when in reality, all of them are expressions of denial of Jesus, our Savior. And just when we think that we would die or we would defend Jesus, we're only one step away from falling Pride, cloaked in spiritual zeal, is a dangerous thing. The Bible says pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. So, that's the first time. The first time, Peter's tempted, and maybe he says, I'm going to stop there, I'm going to confess Jesus. But it actually doesn't stop. It happens a second time. Yes, foretold by Jesus, but it happens a second time. And from it we see this. How quickly the choice becomes a pattern. Oh, how quickly one wrong choice becomes a pattern of living. Verse 25 says, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You're not one of the disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. Maybe the first time 
that it happened rolled off his tongue quickly. Right? In an effort to, for self-defense, before he could ever stop it, it just kind of slipped and he said, no, I'm not one of those guys. And the conviction settled in his heart and maybe he would turn, but he didn't. Number two, if he was he would have said yes, or fifth time, or tenth time, or one hundredth time. My guess is it would have been the same. Because oh, how quickly sin becomes a pattern in our lives. And it may not evidence itself in you being asked, are you a follower of Jesus? And you saying no, it can evidence itself in hundreds of different ways in our life where we look at the word of God and we say, not this time. We look at what God has said and we say, I think I'd prefer something different. And that choice becomes a pattern that happens over and over. And before we know it, we've fallen deep into sin. Kind of reminds me of what James said in chapter 1, verse 13. He said, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Where does sin come from? Where does temptation ultimately come from? Not God. Not the devil. The devil didn't make you do it. Ultimately, temptation is only temptation when there is a desire in your heart for it. And Peter says, or John is showing us in the life of Peter that that when we make the choice to give in to it, says when he is tempted, he's lured away and enticed by his own desire. James goes on to say, then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives, brings forth death. It's a pattern. It's a pattern. There is this journey where one small act of disobedience, one look, one time of messing up, one thought, one word, one mistake, becomes two and three and four. And before you know it, courtyard, complete denial. Our zeal, our passion, our strength, your ability to not do that is the very trap set by the enemy to lead you to it. It sets us up for the pattern because it is our pride, our thought that We can handle just one without going any further. It is that pride that leads us to maximizing ourselves and minimizing sin's severity and its danger and ignoring the holiness of God and the preciousness of His Word. You see, it is a choice that became a pattern. And this once zealot for Christ now finds himself on his face in the courtyard. So the third thing that we see about Peter, his interaction with the people around him over Christ and who Christ was, we see how deceptive it is to believe a lie. We see how deceptive it is to believe a lie. 
Verse 26 is the third denial. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. Again, who was Malchus? Nobody knows, but this guy was related to him, which means John mentions this for this reason. It means he knows firsthand what happened. Probably was there, but at least he heard it firsthand from Malchus. He saw his ear. He he saw that this is like that he's healed now. He knows what happened. Probably even knows who did it at this point. Because he said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Seemed to imply that he's there. Verse 27, Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. Now, have you ever known somebody that when faced with cold, hard facts, evidence, like eyewitness of something happening, they go, no, that never took place. You ever know that? I mean, at least if nothing else, your children have done that to you, right? Right. No, I did not take the cookie from the cookie jar as chocolate is smeared all over their face. Right. We know what this is like. Peter, are you are you kidding me? This man saw you there. And you go, no, wasn't me, wasn't me. The audacity. And when you see that set against the backdrop of the one who is willing to cut off the year at the beginning, the one who said, I die for you, Jesus. And now, even when faced with evidence, he said, no way am I being associated with Christ. Well, it happened. And it happened just like Jesus said it would happen. And then the rooster crowed. I've stood in that courtyard and the place where Jesus would have been imprisoned was close enough to the place where Peter would have stood that they both would have heard that rooster. It's, it's kind of this haunting moment of thou art the man. I know what you did. And Peter's caught red handed. And there's nothing left than to just weep bitterly, which is what Matthew, Mark and Luke tell us that he did. He wept bitterly. Jesus would be led from there shortly after that down those steps to the praetorium to the very next place where he would be tried. And all the while, Peter following along, knowing exactly what he did. In the fulfillment of prophecy, yes, And there's a significance to the three denials, perhaps. Jesus was raised on the third day. He then asked Peter later three times, do you love me? And tells him three times, feed my sheep. Clearly, there's a foreshadowing here of the resurrection. But don't overlook the sound of the rooster. Heard in the ear of a sinner. While in the face of his Savior. Part of me. So standing there in that courtyard, part of me even wondered. So we don't have all the structure and everything that looked like probably a pit that Jesus was kept in. Part of me even wondered if when the rooster crowed, if Peter's eye made contact with Jesus' eyes. The guilt, the conviction of what in the world did I just do? And can I say to you this morning, it is so easy to so begin to believe the lies that you've been telling for so long that you begin to believe them yourself. You begin to believe them. Peter said, 
I'm strong, I'm able, but he was weak. I'm ready to die, but he was afraid. The cover story became this truth. I don't even know him. All of those things only proved to bring Peter to a bitter end of the zeal that he once had. We see Peter had more of a zeal for himself than a zeal for Jesus. He was actually concealing his passion or his pride in his passion. If this was a story, though, about the commitment of Peter, where would we be? What would the lesson be? Don't be like Peter. Do better. Don't deny to Jesus. Deny Jesus. When the gun is held to your head, stay true to Jesus. That would all leave us in total despair. Because every one of us daily choose our own way. We're guilty of choosing our own comfort. We're, we're more willing to live in the place of warmth and pleasure than we are to follow Christ. We would love to just worship ourselves and build our own kingdoms instead of the kingdom of Christ. And we fall into various sins even as we stand by the fire in our comfort. Because the strength of our commitment, listen to this very carefully, the strength of our commitment is what we are putting our trust in. But I can tell you, This story is not about the need for better commitment to Jesus. You will not get to heaven and say, look, God, look how much I did for Jesus. Look how much I was committed to Jesus. In fact, if you'll recall from Matthew 6, that's the Matthew 7, that's the very claim that's sent that's going to send thousands to hell. Didn't I cast out demons in your name? Didn't I do all of these things in your name? And Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you. This is not the gospel. The gospel is not about what we do for Jesus. The gospel is about what Jesus has done for us. What is the collision of these two worlds? The most zealous for Christ and the most zealous against him. What is the lesson that we are to hear, that they are to hear in the midst of it? Because you may be here this morning and you're in the category of, I love Jesus. I got a passion for Jesus. I'm all in on Jesus. Or you may be on this other side that says, I'm not going to submit to Jesus. I'm going to, it's my life. What right does he have? Or you might find yourself somewhere in the middle. What is it that we see at the cross? I want you to get this. At the cross, we see that the most zealous for Jesus and the most zealous against him are nothing without him. We see that we are nothing without Christ. You see this. This text is not a measure of our commitment to Christ. It's a testimony of his commitment to us and consequently our need for him. The thought that we're strong enough, we're good enough. It'll never happen to us. We're in control. All these kinds of thoughts are anti-gospel. No, it is Jesus that is strong enough. 
It is Jesus that is good enough. And it will happen to me. So I need Jesus to save me from it. This is the gospel. It doesn't matter how strong you are, how passionate you are, how against religion you are, how apathetic you are to the whole Jesus thing. No matter what side of this that you're on, the resounding call of the gospel, the only way to Jesus is by way of the cross. It is a call to come and die to ourselves and yet live for Christ. We need Jesus. Peter, I think, got that. I want to give you the end of the story. We're going to come to this. And perhaps maybe at a later date, we'll come even to the book of Acts where we see this full circle. But let me just let me just tell you where Peter ended up this morning. The other gospel writers tell us, of course, I've already mentioned that Peter wept bitterly. So deep in conviction, I almost wonder if he ran from the courtyard. (laughs) I cannot believe I just did that. But remember, we've already read what did Jesus do for Peter? You remember? Peter, Satan demanded to sift you like wheat, but what did he do? I prayed for you. In other words, Peter, this is coming, but I'm already acting on your behalf. I'm already interceding for you. This is not going to be the end of the story for you. I'm praying for you that you will turn. And when you turn, that hundreds will believe because you've turned. So we see it. We see that in John chapter 20, the disciples are fishing. They're there by the on the uh, in the boat by the, the seashore. Right. Jesus appears on the shore. I don't want to give all the details of this story because there's so much in this. But Jesus was raised to life, comes back from the dead after he's already been crucified. He's there on the shore waiting for them. They see him from the boat. Peter kind of scrubs his eyes a little bit and he goes, yep, that's Jesus. And instead of waiting the bo- waiting on the boat to get shore, get to shore, what does he do? He jumps into the water. <laughs> he, he can't wait for the boat. He's got to swim all the way to the shore because he wants to see Jesus. See, here's what happened in Peter's life. The passion that Peter once had has now turned to something different. And it's desperation. I got to I got to have I need Jesus. I got to see Jesus. So he swims. It's a different Peter. That's a repentant Peter. Jesus deals with Peter's denial there on the shore. You know the story. In response, he tells him three different times to the same question. Do you love me? In this response, he says, feed my sheep. He wants Peter to care for the church. We'll unpack that when we get there here in a few weeks. Fast forward to Acts chapter four. Peter and another disciple. Now he's named John. They come and are arrested for preaching Christ. And there before the Sanhedrin, among whom were Caiaphas and Annas. And now, instead of standing in his own strength, the Bible says in Acts chapter 4 that Peter, in the power of the Holy Spirit, preached Christ. And as he preaches Jesus, they are fighting to have that silenced. And what happens? Peter and John say we can only obey 
the things that we've seen and heard. We must obey God rather than men. And they leave that place not boasting of what they've just done, but going back to the church and falling on their faces and pleading with God to continue to act by his Holy Spirit on their behalf. It wasn't Peter's strength any longer. It was the strength of Jesus in Peter. So, Peter came to realize, ultimately, that it was not Jesus who needed Peter, but Peter who needed Jesus. Would you bow your heads all across the room this morning? You know, I think sometimes in the Christian life we get to this place. We pridefully think either one, oh, if Jesus didn't have me, I don't know what he'd do. Or the other way around, in the same pride, just taking a different journey. What could Jesus do with me? Both of those things and so many others ignore the reality that we need Jesus and he is all we need. He is sufficient. That means that you, Christian, can never stop living a life of desperation. You can never coast. You can never rise up in pride. It is always the Christian who says, i got to get out of the boat and swim to meet Jesus because I need Him. Can I ask you this morning, do you have that sense of desperation in following Christ? If I had to guess, I would say most of, in the, most of us in this room would at least have to answer, not yet, but God help me. I hope that's you this morning. I hope that God would stir your heart in desperation for Christ. The only way that happens is for you to come to the foot of the cross this morning. To realize that were it not for Christ, you would deny Him as well and be lost forever in your sin. But Jesus died for you. Ask God this morning to stir a desperation for Christ in you and a love for the Gospel. Maybe you're here in this room and either you're in some sort of religious pride that thinks you know God and you don't. Or you're just all out in denial of Christ. I, I want to just plead with you this morning. Would you see your need? It's going to become so clear in this next passage. Don't miss next week. But would you see your need and respond to the gospel this morning? Trust in Jesus with all of your heart and be saved. Would you come in just a few moments when we stand and this altar is open? Would you come down this aisle and say, Today, Pastor, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be saved. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So will you, will you do that this morning? In faith, you may not have all the answers, but today Jesus does, if you'll just simply come. So I want to ask you to stand all across the room. As this altar is open, I'm going to pray. If that's you this morning, maybe you need to come to this altar for various reasons, other decisions that need to be made here. You do that now. Lord Jesus, we pray this morning that you would lead us to repentance over our apathy and over our pride and that we would be 
Christians who live in desperation for you every day of our lives. Lead the lost to repentance, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So worship team sings, you come this morning. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ. Thank you.